Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. Today's guest, Grace Dent, and I have lived parallelish lives. Growing up ordinary, inverted commas, her in the north, me in the south, we both spent our childhood eating baked beans, angel delight and fun-coloured school custard. We both thought we were it, apparently. And we both got our first break on the weekly Real Life magazine chat. And then somehow wangled our way into glossy magazines. But there our paths diverged because Grace went on to become one of the nation's best love food writers, quote unquote, and the woman who brought true potato love to MasterChef. As well as being a MasterChef regular, Grace is the Guardian's restaurant critic, Fortnum Restaurant Writer of the Year, host of the Comfort Eating podcast, and the author of two memoirs, the best-selling Hungry and now Comfort Eating, about what we eat when no one's looking. I think that the the world divides into, or will Great Britain divides into two sets of people, and they're the ones that can go directly to the microwave with their beans, and people that have to have a couple of little spoons, just a couple of little cold spoons. Grace joined me to talk about how the hell of secondary school never leaves you, how she decided it was time to get sober, balancing her problematic Gen X body image with eating for a living, why she moved home in her 40s to care for her mum and dad, and the actual crime of being 50. I am crying out right now to do something that's a bit feral. Yeah. Well, you're, you've come to the right place, love. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, my big, my big blue yeti, my cat. I love that you've let your cat stay in because there's a part before every podcast I do, be it with you or my one, where I scrape them up and I drag them upstairs and put them in a, in a back room because they're both 19 and they're a bit... Oh, God, yeah. So they they spend their, their time shouting, like, you know, when an old person doesn't understand how loud they are. Because <laughs> yeah. 
because their hearing aid's not working. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, you've let yours in. Mine are banished. I love it. I love it. And it's like, I noticed on your tour, you're doing Bray Mar as well. And I want to say, well done, because the number of times people put tours out and they aren't even coming to Scotland. And so I harangue them on social media until they add Edinburgh or Glasgow. But you're actually doing two. That is pretty impressive. The Braemar one is already sold out. Yeah, and um, Carlisle. Carlisle is sold out. I think that might just be a lot of my enemies from school, though, coming to see if I've got, if I'm fatter and got more wrinkles. That's the only Have you ever been to a school reunion? I was thinking that when I was reading Hungry. No, no, they don't invite me. I can only imagine that they have them very quietly and don't put them on social media in case I turn up. I, I've never been to one. I would be terrified to go to a school reunion. I was, I've been writing down life's definite truths recently because as I slide into middle age, well, I'm in middle age, I've been writing down some definite truths. And one of them is that I don't think we understand when we're younger how much secondary school affects us for life. Oh, man. And it's never going. It's never going. I realise this now at this age, you know, looking at my grey hairs and my all the other accoutrements of middle age, how I was spoken to by, you know, ex-girl that day in 1985 still burns in my brain. I'm like, what grace? Leave it. Why is this living in my head? Or things like, you, you can't do maths. You're not any good at science or... You're, you're not the kind of person that would play piano or whatever it is, what your secondary school years stay with you forever. Like with the, with comfort eating when I was writing that, I thought, why do you keep going back to school dinners? Why do you, why do you keep wanting to talk about uh, the tribes at school and the goths and the people in the music room and uh, school dinner ladies and uh learning French from tricolor textbooks and all of this stuff. I thought because it, it lives in my brain and it'll never stop living in my brain. So I think, my no, I totally, I mean, I really noticed that actually in both books because, well, so much of our childhoods are so similar, but that comp school thing where you are, you are, I mean, it lives in you forever, but it literally scars you is what it does. And all of those things they said to you, like, for me, it was like I was ugly because I was ginger and I had freckles and I was fat and I was swatty. And it's just like, and those things really stay with you. And I, one of the things I always think is when people say, oh, I, I'd love to get really old and live in a retirement community with all my friends. I always think that sounds fucking horrible. A bunch of women who would have probably beaten you up at school all, and you're trapped with them for 20 years. I, I, I can't believe you just said that because I, that's the thought that I have in my head all the time that I, I, I daren't say out loud because as a woman, especially now, you're never, never allowed to say that the scars that you've taken from secondary school about other women you carry it with you forever. So exactly. And that's why there's a lot of women that we're scared of hen weekends. We're scared of the large book group that suddenly goes 
out of control and everybody told a lot of the flies. I don't have children, but I would have been terrified to get involved with NCT. School gates. School gates. School gates. Horrifying. Uh, But it's sad, isn't it? Because we know as women that we're so strong and so resourceful and such good friends to each other. Like it, it is a complete truth that a woman will support you through things in a way that your partner, your husband, your boyfriend might not even notice to do, might not have the gumption to do, and a woman will support you. But groups of women, and I think that this is from me, is from secondary school, terrify me. I was talking to another woman about this a couple of days ago, and I said, uh, I, I, I was in a fashion shoot and I had all the fashion, the dress on and posing. And someone said, someone said, you look amazing. And I went, I think I'm it. Right. And it came from the, it came from my bowels somewhere. I went, I, I underlined talking, it. I think I'm it. I think you're it. You do. And I thought my childhood and teen years before I escaped Carlisle, uh, did I ever escape Carlisle? No, no. I think I'm still there in my head. Is, was, was completely governed by the imaginary crime we all foist upon each other of thinking they're it. You think you're it. Look at you, Sam, walking down the street like you think you're it. Think about Sam, she thinks she's it. And it, it isn't even attached to anything. It's not, it's not an accusation that you can even deny because it's, there's nothing tangible about it other than you maybe, you know, because I've got quite a, my mother had really good posture and she always had me like walking about with my shoulders back. There was a way that I must have kind of transported myself to school that made me think I was it. I, um, I wonder if it was your posture. Those things, they do, they scar you for life, don't they? I remember when like we were talking earlier about school reunions and I, like, I would no more go than chop my fucking arm off. I remember like going to the kind of the local pub, you know, when you used to go home at Christmas when you first went to London and on Christmas Eve, everybody used to go to the local pub. And I remember meeting some girl at school. It was Rhonda Sturgis, just in case she's listening. And she, we were in the lamb when it was still the lamb. It's been changed into some kind of like cocktail bar now. And she said to me, why you, why did you get a job on magazines? Why you of all the people? And afterwards, I thought, and at the time, I couldn't answer. And at the time, I thought, well, probably because you always fucking treated me like that, all of you, you know. So, but, but so completely rude. I love it when people younger than me talk about microaggressions because there's, there's enough aggressions right to your face. Awful. When you're 10, 11, 12, 13, and the boys said to me, look at her, look at her teeth. Look at her face. Look at her chin. Look at her. Look at. She looks like a witch. Look at her fat little thighs. Look at that. And all these things they say to you, and you're like, and it sticks with you in your head. But then you get to about 14, 15, 16, 17, and the boys then kind of want to sleep with you. So they have a little air of niceness about it. And you don't hear those things as much about your, your teeth or your bum or your thighs. But then social media arrived 25 years later. I love that you and I both got our breaks on Chat Magazine. Oh, it's the only way girls like you and me could get in. The only way. Because they I, didn't care that we didn't have double-barreled names or posh middle names like what you have. My, my very posh middle name, Georgina, 
put that in, try and get into trying to get into Hearst magazines. <laughs> I uh, Chat magazine was one of the favorite, my most favorite things I ever did. I, I was only there for a little while. I was certainly not on staff. I was getting paid. I think I was getting paid fifty quid a day to open the mailbag, and this was back in the day. Again, pull up a chair, young people. This was before the internet, where if you wanted to make some money, you could go to, you could buy Chat Magazine and snip out a, a coupon at the back that said, "Do you have a real life story?" Yeah. We pay two hundred pounds. I wrote those, not the coupon, the stories. <laughs> so, for, for, so we would go to work in the magazine, and there'd be this massive, sometimes two, bulging mailbag. And you opened it up and it was just full of these coupons. And it was women all over Britain who'd written, at very best, it would be a botched tattoo. (laughs) And it would be a picture of the tattoo. But then a lot of it was really the worst domestic violence, the worst, really harrowing stories. And then uh, exactly you and I, then you had to ring the people. This was before mobile phones. The phone would ring out and out and out. And you go, oh, hello, hello, Julie, I believe. And then you'd start to read back to them what they'd said. And sometimes they'd want to talk about it. And you had to write it all up in the, in the first person. Yes. <laughs> like a kind of a fictionalized version of what they told you. Like a lovely Mills and Boone about the, their stepfather putting them in a freezer or something really awful. I always knew he was a wrong un from the moment he walked in. And then we were, but I think for people like me and you, we had more of a, more of an, I, well, I did always have more of an understanding of these people because I came from something like that. And then I'd write it up and then I couldn't believe it when they paid me. I could not believe it when IPC magazines paid me. And I kept all that money and, uh, and then went freelance. That was in the nineties. But I loved that you put your you put your middle name in to get a job on Marie Claire because I remember when I got I got married quite young when I was twenty six and I was adamant like I'm not taking your bloody name. My name's my name. I'm not taking it. But then once I started working on on glossy magazines and I got from Take a Break into New Woman, which was kind of like hybrid. And then I realized that I should have bloody taken his name because if you, because he's got like a bingly bongly name, that a bingly bongly name, that you're made for life in glossy magazines if you've got one of those names. It's like, damn, what was I thinking? I should have just changed my entire name early on because my name is Grace Dent. It's two short, sharp grunts. And I, and I, I, yeah, I realised that if you put Georgina in the middle of it, people seem to suddenly take me more seriously. Isn't that awful? It is, but it's it's really awful. But I'm kind of, I'm so used to it now. But that when you first get there, you first go to London and somehow you get a job, which I think was still possible in the late 80s and early 90s. I mean, fuck knows how they do it now. but. It's like, it was like, I couldn't believe that pe- there were, this was a world that people lived in. I always feel that until I was about 23 and I went to work in media, until that point, I had been 
blissfully, naively unaware, like almost all of the working classes, what posh actually is, what connected actually is, how things actually work. Up until that point, we flung around the words posh at each other. You were posh if you got the slightly more expensive hairspray boots. That's what we thought posh was. Or somebody's dad who worked in management at a local factory. That's what we thought posh was. Absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Then you get down south and you're working with people who are from the families, the families, these families that have ruled and governed Britain for centuries. And even if they've lost all their money along the way, it doesn't matter because that name goes so far and all of their children know each other because all of their parents know each other because all of their parents knew each other. And there's this network of them all... And also, when I say this, I start to sound very as if I'm angry at them, but I don't because they don't know anything better either. They don't, they don't know what the working classes are like. They have this very small thumbnail of what we're like. They are members of private members' clubs. They leave London on the weekend to go to their parents' houses that are in lovely places, and their parents' houses are all near each other, and their brothers all went to the same art college together, and they've got random members of the family that are just travelling in, 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 in Europe at the moment and buying art and doing placements. This kind of amazing, blessed existence and, um, you know, in the 90s, I knew that we were all scraping about 12 grand, but they were doing these wonderful things. And the penny began to, where they, oh, oh, they've got loads of money coming to them. <laughs> yeah, they've got money coming from other places, which is why they haven't got enormous bloody credit card bills. They have, and they begin to have children much quicker and many more of them. And those children start to go to really good schools. And uh, it's all a... And then as as your parents age and their parents age, suddenly you're staring down the barrel of the NHS. Very different. And then, <laughs> and then they begin to inherit all of the things their parents are leaving to them. So I would say that when you're a working class person in a middle upper class world, the differences never stop presenting themselves. It's just it, it, to, to me. It's just the way it is, and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be in that world permanently. When I'm whenever I'm mixing in those circles, I kind of quite like to just come home to my. I quite like a scoot round Asda. No, it's like when I used to have to do the fashion shows. When I came home, I was just like, I just want to put my jammers on and get takeaway curry. I just I can't eat. This and this sounds so wanky. Sorry, the cat's attacking the back of my chair, which is the thing he does. Um, <laughs> a little bugger. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, and it does sound really wanky. I can't drink any more glasses of champagne. I don't want. I mean, I know. Look at those tight diamond shoes. Chips eat chips of parmesan. It's like God. Just give me like a proper. Give me like beans on toast. And I know that you share my love for beans. And. And cold out of the can. Oh, honestly, I think that the, the world divides into, or well, Great Britain divides into two sets of people. And they're the ones that can go directly to the microwave with their beans. And people that have oh, to no. have a couple of, couple of little spoons 
first. Just a couple of little cold spoons. Well, how it works is I think, oh, I'll, have, I'll put half, I'll heat up half a can for toast and then have a spoon or two, put, put half a can or by now two thirds of a can in the saucepan or in the bowl to go in the microwave. And then it's like, there's not enough left to save. So then you have to eat the rest out of yeah. the can. And yeah. that's, that's normal, isn't it? it, it no, it, but it is normal. I think what's incredibly normal is the fact that as women, we couldn't, uh, we can't permit ourselves to have a full can of baked beans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because we know the calories in them. That's the problem. Lest we go completely mad and have a full can of baked beans. We even play games with ourselves about beans. Do you still know the calories in absolutely everything? Yes, I, I, I talk about this freely to the absolute horror of younger women because, as I always say, I am, an, I am, the, I am a very typical Generation X woman. So when it comes to food, I grew up in a world where the, my coffee table in our working class house was just a big pile of slimming magazines and cut out and keep diet sheets. Where yeah, and the junk drawer in the kitchen and always had the calorie book. The calorie books. And in the, in the 80s, especially, we were sold this idea that a thousand calories a day, thousand, one thousand was what you had to go on to, to lose those unsightly inches before summer or the before, inch you could pinch if you can pinch more than an inch then you're a very awful person and you should be eating special cake so uh although i applaud the idea of body positivity and i i see it in other women and it looks lovely it looks lovely i i sit and i watch other women walk past when i'm sitting in a cafe and i think look at you just walking down there with like your arms like that and you've got like a little top on like how how do you do that how do you just how do you just get up put a pair of shorts on and just walk out the house when like you know you've got a like lovely jiggly bum and uh and I just don't think I will I, I, I'm, I'm very prepared to be proved wrong but I always I think that our generation were I was brought up on Miss World competition 36, 24, 36. And the, and the, and the Sun newspaper, I learned to read, picking up copies of the Sun and reading page three, where it said, Sam is 38, 22, 37, or whatever, 37 would be big, it would be 33 or something. Yeah, it was always top, top heavier, wasn't it? Top heavy lovelies. So yeah, do I know, do I know calories? I know calories in everything. I, I, it, it, isn't it? Isn't it insane? You go. Um, your brain is like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator, going four hundred four calories for breakfast. Oh dear! Alert! Alert! But then, I mean, I'm a restaurant critic, so I've got to fit all of that. I've got to fit all of that hell into trying to do my job and trying to do it well, and trying to eat and taste all these amazing foods, but also trying to get into a tiny dress to be on MasterChef so that Kevin in Halifax can tell me on Twitter that he thinks I've put on a kilo to my face. How do you square that? Uh, I have to accept that I am going to have to eat because it's my job and it's going to happen and I am now 
I eat, I eat the be- I eat the bits of dinner when it comes out that look absolutely delicious. I don't eat all of it. I eat bits of it. Uh, I always have people with me that are, that are, I hate food waste. One of my biggest problems is waste. I don't, I have to order all this stuff to look at it. So I always eat with friends that will eat it all. I eat a lot of the protein and I taste bits and pieces of it. But I, I love bread and I love potatoes and I love pasta and I love rice. I love the sides, the sides of things. And so I have to go really, really easy on that. I just have a little bit, but I'm better at it now. I mean, my weight goes up and down. I'm like Oprah Winfrey. You never know what you never know what grace don't you get in. <laughs> I'm down at a ten and at the moment, and I go, all right, okay, I'm down at a ten. I've done it for a while. I've done it for a while. But I always say there's like there's like a bigger girl inside me, like smoking a regal king size, going, I'll be back. <laughs> it's it's funny, but do you, can you imagine Jay Rayner ever having this conversation? No, I mean, if I don't said. If I, if I sound like I'm laughing about it, it's because I think I spent, I went through my angry feminist years. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I've, the, the girls I see now, the young women, and they're angry and they're furious about all of these things. I, see, I understand, I get it. Because there's a moment where you wake up and go, why? <laughs> why? Yeah. You know, why? Why? There's a moment you wake up and you're furious. I think I was, I've, I've gone through my furious years, gone through my, why do I have to look, why do I have to worry about what I have on and the boys all wear the same suit for every TV show they do? And all that. But I mean, that's the that's the, the, the thinnest end of the wedge. I'm angry about, I could be angry about everything, but I, I think... One of the things about getting older is that you, uh, you just know, you just know, you know about all the unfairness and you d- I think you become a lot calmer about it. You just have to choose your battles. Just like, I just hope the younger women are just going to fight for the causes, but there's a lot, ugh, I don't know. I'm just, I just, just let me be a crone. Just let me be yeah. a crone. Oh, I'm here for that. I am yeah, so here for that. my crone years of just sitting around going, I've seen it all before. It's like there's a bit in, I can't remember because I've read them both again back to back. Um, I think it might be in Hungary when you talk about the point that you realise that whether or not there are any kids involved, somebody has to be the man. And I just think that is such a moment of realisation, isn't it? When you, it, it doesn't matter whether there's children, but somebody's got to get keep the house running and 99 times out of 100 is you. Yeah. Absolutely. So like I, I, that somebody in the relationship has to be mum. Somebody has to work out where the wheelie bins are and somebody has to buy pedal bin liners and somebody has to keep on filling the fridge and bringing the magic Alibaba basket down and putting all the smelly things into the into the washing machine. I, I am appalled that at this stage in my life, I'm still finding places to hang socks so they don't go moldy, foisty, smelly. This, this was not meant to happen. I mean, talk about feminism. Like I, I made, I made a massive mistake early on with this career business. Why did me arguing with my mother point blank that I was going to go and have a career when she, all she wanted me to do was marry a local builder, right? I could just be sitting in Carlisle right now with a massive house and a really great breakfast bar, right? 
<laughs> and instead, and, and, and instead, I'm still walking around in this house with my career book, trying to find places to rest socks. It's a terrible it's, mistake. Terrible it, mistake. It's so it's such a bizarre thing, isn't it? Someone has to be mum. Yeah, someone, someone has yeah. to be mum. This is why it's so, uh, you know, talking about knowing what you know now. When I see people getting married 20 years younger than me and see all these women and they're like, I'm going to do it differently. <laughs> you think, are you? Yeah. Are you? Are you really? I, uh, yeah. Sometimes I think, sometimes, sometimes I think that, that as, as the sexes, we just have different eyes for what is actually happening in the house. Sometimes as a, like as a, as an experiment the other day, I left the clothes, I left a clothes horse in the middle of the living room that my partner had put up. I left it in the middle of the living room with the stuff he'd put on it as an experiment to see how long he would leave it up. Four days. <laughs> and he still didn't put it down. In the end, I said, are we going to ever take anything off this clothes horse? And he said, it's drying. I was like... And it's little things like that, isn't it? That's totally. I wrote a post-it note to myself the other day to use in a book. Sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself. And it was like a it was a like a life revelation that I'd always fought against. It's easier to than to explain everything or you have to do it. It's easier to just do it yourself. And in, in, in everything, sometimes, it's really hard to delegate because you have to trust in people to actually do the thing that they're going to do. Sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself. I think that's... God, that's... I'm sorry, we've gone very deep. <laughs> yeah. No, deep is good. I'm going to... Well, now you've headed deep, I'm going to take advantage of you. Do it. Slightly heading deep. Because um, I do want to ask you just a little bit about your mum and dad. Yeah, and there was some, it's a, and again, I can't remember whether it's hungry or comfort eating, um, but you talk about, there's a line where you said, and I just really, really struck a massive chord with me, girls like me can have ridiculous dreams, but at the end of the day, we should do the right thing. What part did that play in your moving home to care for your mum and dad in your 40s? Well, it is the right thing to do. It was for me. I had to do it. I, I didn't have any choice. I knew that I had to be present. I had to see it. I had to live it. I had to go through it. And I knew that my mother would have done it for her mother. She had a tricky relationship with her mother, but she still went and did it. I felt as if with my newly acquired pseudo middle class sharp elbows, I could probably, from a practical side, keep a better eye on what was going on as well. Watching it all secondhand and trying, one of them had cancer, one of them had Alzheimer's. That is just chaos. Two sets of different NHS care workers, social workers. I mean, that was at the later stage of it. Of it but I just wanted to be present. And also, I don't have children. So... It always kind of annoys me slightly when I'm portrayed or any woman without children is portrayed as being unmaternal because I am not. I, I, I am very, very good at caring. I am great at the uh, 
at the things to do lists and the early mornings and the trays and the phoning up to find out where pills are and picking them up and all of the grotty, dirty, awful, sleepless things of caring. I knew that I was good at it. I would have been a good nurse if I hadn't worked in media. So I thought, I'm going back, I'm doing it. But I always knew from the moment I got down to London in the 90s that 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 was coming at me down the track at some point. You can run away from where you're from. But I think as a woman, you you do end up being the one that kind of goes back and does the caring. I must say, my little brother is bloody brilliant. He... He complete. He is also very, very good. I would hate anybody to think he wasn't there pulling his weight. He he lives there. I would say to anybody with that face in them, a few people sidled up to me and say, oh, I've got this coming to me now. Parents are getting old, should I go back? It's not forever. I know it feels like it's forever. The actual reality of it, it it's a very short space of time. And the moment it's over... It's over in, in it, it's almost, it's like a, a house party finishing abruptly. The moment that it's over and the people pass away, you're just a, you're just a spare part in a foreign land. <laughs> it's, and it's time to come back again. I don't regret anything I did at all. I'm still, uh, uh, oh God, I'm still horrified by some of the things I saw and I'm horrified by some of the things I had to do. But I'm glad I did it. I think that, I think it's just, it's, it, it, it had to happen. It had to happen. Did it affect your career or were you like big enough at that point? You know what I'm trying to say, that you could, because one of the things I had, and it's not comparative at all, but when I moved to Edinburgh, the number of people who said to me, to my face, behind my back, on social media. Oh, well, she'll never work again once she's gone up there. And it was ob- it was obviously total bullshit, but there's that obsession, isn't there, with you having to be there? Nobody really knew because I think that I'm, I am pretty good at both giving a lot of myself so people know me, but when they actually think about it, they don't actually know anything about me. And um, I, I, I don't think people actually knew where I was and I I did I did a lot of uh round trips anyway because I kept my I'm speaking to you now from my house in London and I just kept the house in London and it just just was always on that train from uh Euston to Penrith up right near in the lakes and I just would say I never told anybody asking me about work why I couldn't do it. And if I could do it, I didn't ever make a fuss of, isn't this awful putting yourself into this tiny, tiny, making yourself smaller and uh, unoffensive, inoffensive to anyone. I never told anybody what I was doing. So I just said, oh, I'd be there. And then I would have to get up at five in the morning and get on the train to Euston and set off, dressed in baggy clothes. And then coming through Warrington Bank Keys and all these places, crew. And Milton Keynes starting to build the person that you present yourself as, putting the hair up and painting the face off, trying to put on false eyelashes in a bloody, in a bloody virgin train. It's a Vanti now toilet, and then coming out and doing it. I, I, but I got that from my mother. I, I got 
I was brought up on those type of women where you don't let it show in your face. You just get up and do it. I am from the Elsie Tanner school of just getting out there and doing it. Again, I again I think that's Generation X, though. I think I don't I don't know if it's particularly healthy. Yeah, it's like there's again, I reckon this is in comfort eating. You uh, no, I reckon this is in hungry. You said early on about learning that work is a great place to hide. And I just thought, yeah, totally, totally that. When I was a little girl, my father, for all of his faults, was a very hard worker up at, up at 5am in the morning and often gone before we got up and staying out really late, taking on all you know, extra shifts and extra thing, extra jobs, foreigners, jobs. For, did they still say that anymore? Foreigner? Foreigner used to mean an extra job, a foreigner. And, uh, and yeah, then I, when I got years later, decades later, my 40s, I thought, oh, my God, he was just hiding from us. He was hiding from all his Hiding stuff. from his, all his ghosts. He was hiding from all of the things that there was nobody could ask him any questions if he just always worked. So yeah, I think that I think that I've definitely been guilty of that. I love working. Like I I love working. It's one of the chief reasons I didn't push to have children. And isn't that awful? Like I was the thought of having to put a pin in everything and not be able to do anything and then maybe only be able to come back at 60% of what I was doing terrified me. I, used I don't to, think that's awful at all. I think that there loads of women feel like that. I, I think you've just managed to put into words probably how I felt. I think if you're a woman and you're lucky enough to know from an early age or in your 20s that you want a baby... And you pick them up and you smell their heads and you're like, oh, I want that baby. And your friends have babies, your family have babies, and you're coming away from their houses like crying, oh, so I want that. And bloody have that baby. Oh, my God. I envy, I envy those women. Because then you've got the vast majority of people that are like... That <laughs> face. <laughs> you know, I think there's some women that absolutely don't. And again, I envy them. Oh, absolutely, just, ugh, yuck. These women that are like, ugh, go on. But the certainty, that's the it. certainty. Yeah. And then there's just millions and millions and millions of women like me who were, uh, I thought I fought so hard for this career, fought so hard to get out where I was from and um, travel and and all these lovely things. And I don't, I don't want to give it up, so... Uh, yeah, uh, I, but I, I, but some, I, I, it has meant that I do work. I do work continuously. I work every morning from five o'clock, every single morning. <laughs> wow, impressive. I, it's such a difficult conversation because everyone feels attacked. If you've not got kids, you feel attacked. If you've got kids, you feel attacked. Yeah, if you wanted kids and couldn't have them. Exactly, I was going to say that. If you desperately want them and you weren't fertile enough or first, whatever whatever it was, you you, you know, weren't, and you didn't have the money to throw at it, it's horrible. It's all horrible. Or you've you've now got three, and what you would have actually liked to have done was be bloody commissioner's stylist. It's not all of it. It's just a big, massive 
way that we pit ourselves against each other. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, I always think this with the baby conversation, whether it's, you know, having babies or not having babies, breastfeeding, natural versus cesarean, blah de blah de blah de blah It all ends up in a fight because whatever one person decides feels like a criticism of what someone else decided or didn't decide, just wound up in that situation. I think it's inflated by the fact that the only way we speak about these things as well often is via think pieces. And the only people that want to do think pieces are people that often have uh, an extreme way of saying something or pack it in in an extreme way. So uh, that's the only time it raises its head. So it just pits us as women even more against each other because I've found that's when you end up in an argument. Pieces that have made the people the most angry is if I've mentioned I've got a cleaner. Nothing else. Not, 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 not other stuff. Nobody's ever come at me about Alzheimer's or my portrayal of cancer or my thoughts on the Church of England. No one cares. Uh, processed foods. Not one person. But I've mentioned before that, uh, that, I've, that I've got a cleaner and it's just kicked off like viral online as if it's, it's, and I thought, what? But I do, I do pay the woman. Like I don't. (laughs) It's like you're, A, it's your job because you're the woman, but also it's like you're betraying your roots. Yeah. But then that is funny, you know, going back to what we were saying, the, the most angry people were, they were all men and they were all left wing men who were saying, oh, She's got a maid. And I was thinking, I was thinking, you little, like, you know, like, I, ah! <laughs> and I just, I was like, uh, but look, I just hope their houses are beautiful and clean and their girlfriends are really pleased with the level of housework that they're doing. <laughs> I think we know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> the 
was um, a bit, again, this is hungry, I think. I have read Comfort Eating, promise, where I think you, um, you're talking about your mum being 54 and trying to tell you what's what. And you said it's like, you felt it felt like her being 54 was like an actual crime. So are you 50 now? Nearly 50? In a coming couple up of, 50. In, coming up, coming up. I can smell it on the horizon. So how does that actual crime feel now it's you? Oh, my God. One of the most strange things about your parents dying that no one prepares you for is that when they die, you have to go and clean out their houses and you also have to go and find photos of them for, say, the, bro- the, the brochure at their funerals. And, and you come across all these photos of them and it's only when they've died and you have these weeks where you have to, where you're looking at family photos, and they've gone by this point that you realise how old they actually were at these stages. Mm. So, so young, so young. So the one that springs to mind is that when I left to go to university, my mother, my mother was about fifty three, fifty four, and her and her cousin decided to go on some holidays. They had spare time and probably a bit of spare money now bloody left and they went on holidays and I saw the photos of those holidays she had boxes and boxes of them and she was so young beautiful and my and having the time of her life on these holidays and I remember when she went on those holidays and I thought oh bless her bless her bless her bless her trying to fill her time now I'm not there this old lady this old lady going on these sad little holidays. What, a, what an idiot I was. I look back now and I think, I thought that was really old. And, no, it, it really is. And same with my father. I realise now I go, oh God, okay, so that was you going to a nightclub. Oh, so you were actually the life and soul of that party. But you just look at these, you look at them and you're young and you just think they're ancient. How do I feel though? I have to really watch myself now that I'm 50. I've got nieces and nephews and young people around me and I have to stop myself getting involved in things because there is a crone inside me that wants to say things about about education and the mistakes that people are making and it's really really it's it's really hard someone said to me the other day about the the crime of putting a top on and realizing you've got like wrinkly 50 year old decolletage and how oh, totally <laughs> look <laughs> yeah <laughs> mine's a 57 year old wrinkly decolletage it's just uh i i everything's going to be okay i think that 50 i think that 50 is going to be bloody brilliant actually do you know what i love though i, lo- I love not caring not caring I don't, I don't, so, and I can kind of give you examples. Days and days going by where you don't put any makeup on. Oh, totally. I literally only put lipstick on today because I, I just knew that you would have lipstick on. And I put, I got online and I looked at my face I was going to have to look at for the next hour. And I just thought, oh no, it's all beige and I know Grace will be wearing lipstick. It's, it's made me genuinely sad that the word, uh, that the word Karen as well has become um, has become kind of synonymous with like race and things like that, right? And this idea that 
Karen, you're a Karen if you complain about anything. Because what we are actually missing here, if you take out awful examples of women acting, behaving terribly, you take that out of the equation, put a pin in that for a while. These are extreme examples. There's a far subtler thing that happens to all women of all backgrounds when you get in your 50s is that, and if, if you want to say Karen, say Karen, because it's, it's like you've seen it all before. You have limited time. You are depleted of estrogen. <laughs> and on your last, working your last fucking nerve of the day, and you do not have time to be told by somebody that computer says no, when you know full well you're right. And there is, there's a moment that, and I think it's for all women, um, in your 50s and going into your 60s where you just become a bit like, I don't care. I, and it, it's very freeing. So, no, it does make me kind of sad when I see that bandied around online because, yeah, there are occasions where it's someone acting atrociously. But 99% of the time, it's just a woman speaking. It's just a woman going, no, actually, I think you'll find that that is my car space. <laughs> I, I remember seeing angry 50-year-old women and angry 60-year-old women when I was young. And now I, and now I know why. Uh, I totally am one and proud, frankly. Where, is, uh, where are you at on the menopause front? Oh, God. Um, I think I'm very much in it at the moment. I think, I've been, I think I've been in it for bloody years. I think I've been in it for years. Like traipsing into the, traipsing into the GP with them kind of going... Like it's like, like a twelve-year-old GP sitting there, going, "Ah, uh, no, no, no." One, should we just? What you feel half mad? Should we just keep an eye on it? And then before you know, it, you're outside the door, going, "How are we keeping an eye on on it? You're in that room. <laughs> Hang on a minute. You just said go away." So I say to everybody, take all of the help that you can go into the GP and tell them that you want everything that's going. They'll just look at you because they'll go, who is this angry 50-year-old woman? Please get her out. Do I need to ring the buzzer? Why is there a sweaty woman there? Why is there, why is there a sweaty woman shouting at me? I think what Davina's done is amazing. I mean, she that is a, that is a genuine damehood there. Don't piss about with an MBA or an OB. Just go straight in. Give her a damehood. That woman actually stood up and started making women demand to go into the doctor and go, I don't want to piss about anymore. I've got to the stage where I feel like I can't go to work and this is ridiculous because I've got 25 more years in me. Like, <laughs> I went from feeling ageless, feeling as if almost everything that I heard was a afflicting other women didn't really apply to me, especially as somebody without children. I felt like I'd gone scot-free and I was like, I will never retire. Never. Like I will die. I will, I will basically slump forward against my computer. Slump forward into a master chef professional dish. I will literally die with Greg Wallace there shouting buttery biscuit base at me and I'll be 80 (laughs) and he'll be 85. And then, and then when I started feeling it coming down the track, I just started thinking, I don't even, how can I get out of doing things? 
you know, my skin was bad. I'd never had bad skin. Like everything was just, I just felt absolutely completely shit. And, uh, and it went on and on and on. And that, and I feel, I just, the moment I started uh, doing little bits about it and getting what I could, then I feel, I just feel a hell of a lot better. I think everybody should do it. Just, um, but it, 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 I don't know, on the NHS, it's a complete nightmare. Yeah, it's, uh, for me, it was totally transformative, but I never, I never conquered the NHS, that's for sure. I've held, held loads of your time, so better ask you the questions I always ask at the end. Go on, go on. What's your emotional age? They're not all, they're not all about um, dead people and vaginal dryness, are they? No, <laughs> but we can talk about vaginal dryness. If I you like. think that's like that. Mine is absolutely wonderful, thank you. Anyway, next question. <laughs> what um, is your emotional age? 28. Why 28? Right. When I was 28, I just had, I had absolutely tons of energy and I was at the beginning of my career. No, I was, I was a few years into my career and I, I just always, I had really good cheekbones and I had really good upper arms. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> You've still got really good cheekbones. I can't I, see your upper arms, so I can't I could, I could, I could, I could really rock a Jane Norman dress. Oh, that is an achievement. I could really rock, I could really, I had a, a tiny little waist and I would go around in, in my lovely kukai boot cuts and I was working for the Daily Mirror and traveling all over the world. And I don't feel like, I, I, I always look at myself and think, you haven't changed that much. You really haven't changed that much. You've, uh, it's probably bigger and wobblier and some things are slightly more lower hanging than they used to be. God, I used to go out with no bra all the time. And I had big boobs as well, but I just used to go out in no bra because they were, they were, they were very, what's the word I'm looking for? Buoyant. But yeah, pert. I don't know. They were pert. They were pert. But like that, 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 if you're a younger woman listening to this, please enjoy that. Yeah, well, they still hold themselves up, let them. Yeah. Uh, give us a book recommendation. So it can be like a book that changed your life or it can just be a book you read lately that you liked. I am reading The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. It's a um, fantasy. Yeah, it's a fantasy. Um, I don't I don't read fantasy books. I don't read fantasy fiction. However, I did love Game of Thrones, the, t- the TV show. And the reason I was turned on to Game of Thrones very early was because I put it on one day thinking it wasn't my genre and realized there was tons of women in it and the women were main characters. And often that doesn't matter. I do like things led by men, but the fact that it was women going through these quite, you know, there was incest and incestual relationships that you were actually rooting for. And people that were horrible, but they loved their children. So you kind of, flawed women. And I thought that's how I ended up getting into fantasy. And then I heard about Samantha Shannon and the Priory of the Orange Tree. It's a very, very long uh, fiction about various lands. There are dragons, I will warn you, but loads of women. It's all women. And I thought, right, I'm going to read this. And I'm very much enjoying it. Although it's not you mentioned fantasy. People just backing off, backing off. Okay. What advice would you give younger women? Don't waste all your money on a wedding. That's a good bit of advice. Take the money that everybody 
is conning out of you at the moment to pay for your wedding. And it ends up being women that end up paying for these bloody weddings. If there's money floating about and your parents want to donate money and you've got money, take the money and buy real estate and put it in your name. Did you do that? Yeah. Best thing you ever did? And f- yeah, absolutely. Didn't, didn't, didn't. Got married once. Didn't have the wedding. Eloped to Vegas and put the money into a house and then made sure that I kept the house. It's my house. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the house you're in right now? I'm in the house right now. I'm sitting in my house. It's my house. My house. And uh, and I always I always say this like with 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 money you don't need these for young women you do, you do not need to spend fifty five thousand pounds on a letting turtle doves out of a church you don't even go to. When you say it like that, it's totally mad, isn't it? Nobody wakes up at seven o'clock in the morning and goes yes, <laughs> yes. Imagine. The internet is completely full, isn't it, of millennials complaining about all the weddings and hen nights they have to go to. And I'm not surprised because they cost a fortune, but it is like no one wants to go. Right. Who is your old bird role model? I love Tracy Emin. Oh, she's amazing, isn't she? I completely understand and get her art. I know where it comes from. And when she put when she put everybody she'd ever slept with on a tent. People were getting angry. People were getting angry. And she was a bit like, well, you shouldn't have slept with me then. <laughs> <laughs> and the bed, for example, when everyone oh, was getting yeah. furious about the bed. And I was thinking, that's such a unashamed look at how a woman sometimes has to live her life. We've all been there in that filthy bedroom. With, uh, beside the bed, there was like condom packets and morning after pill packets and things like that. I was like, Oh God, I love it. I love it. So I love Tracy. I mean, she's proper national treasure. And of course, Joan Collins. God, good old Joan. Joan Collins, 90 years old, looking better than me right now. <laughs> What's your superpower? Mm, my superpower is probably, oh God, those are really boring. They're like, I'm very hardworking. My <laughs> I am so hard. I'm so honest. I think one of my superpowers is often um, really, really painful empathy with people. Real, really painful being able to go into a room and immediately know that that couple are having a horrible time and they're on the verge of splitting up. And that person feels uncomfortable about that. And that person's upset about this. And that person being really happy is jarring with that person. I feel it so much. And then I walk out and I'm just drained by it all. And then my partner goes, that was a good party. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my superpower is just horrible empathy to the point where I just need to go and stand in a broom cupboard and relax. And how many fucks do you give? I've still got about two out of ten fucks left. What are they for? Trying to get into the dresses that I have to wear on tour because I want to get into some really nice Mm. Are they sample size? Try like no. My, I my, couldn't even get my leg in a sample size. And my boobs are always too big for sample size. You know those. What did Karl Lagerfeld say? Did you just say? Did you not say that boobs are just fat? Oh, some it's probably something like that. It sounds like something you would say. And the other fuck I give is about getting my my pets 
to the vet in time and getting their <laughs> pills and doing everything. And then aside from that, behold, my field of fucks is absolutely empty. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like my conversations with Kate Spicer and Marina Hyde. You'll find a link to them, along with a link to Grace's podcast, Comfort Eating, in the show notes. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow, because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like more of The Shift in your life, head over to theshiftwithsambaker.substack.com and sign up for weekly newsletters, podcast extras and more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.